5. Hear these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of these, the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, last week, my son and I, who um, just turned eight years old, were in our garage gym before we started our school day. Um, and at 35, I seem to still have the eating habits of an infant. I like to have three meals a day and about 37 snacks in between. So I was feeling hungry, and I asked my son to go in the house and get me an apple. When he came back, he handed me the apple, and I noticed it was wet. Now, I don't know if, if you've never raised a little man cub. Um, when they bring you something wet, proceed with caution. So I was holding my wet apple, and uh, he had already gone back to his game of slamming his body into a large yoga ball to see how far backwards it would project him into the garage. Um, he had already forgotten about the apple, completely unaware that I was there, feeling kind of wary about why it was wet. Um, but just to be sure my apple wasn't dropped in the toilet or the dog bowl, I asked him, Preston, um, did you wash my apple? And he never stopped playing his little game, and he said, uh-huh, with soap. Today is Christ the King, a day when we celebrate Jesus as the King of all kings. Our scripture reading today is a lectionary text and comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Here we encounter Jesus giving the only detailed depiction of Judgment Day in the New Testament. This discourse comes on the heels of a series of parables regarding the final judgment. So yes, there is some hellfire and brimstone, there is judgment and the threat of eternal punishment. 
but I do not think that is the whole story. And I certainly don't think it's the marrow of the message. Similarly to the three preceding parables, the purpose of this discourse isn't to terrify Christians into obedience, but rather it is a teaching moment. Jesus is teaching us how to pay attention to the ways in which we engage with one another and creation. Our bodies are sites of divine revelation. We manifest the creativity of the triune God in all that we say and do. Jesus is teaching us how to do that so that when others encounter our bodies and voices, they might feel the presence of God's goodness that dwells in all of us. Jesus is teaching us how to develop life-giving habits so that it would be foreign or abnormal to encounter a body in need of clothing or in need of something to drink or in need of a place to stay and to not do everything that we could do to fill those needs. Jesus is teaching us to become humble and pure. Like a child who takes his mother's apple in his little dimpled hands and washes it. Not to receive praise or adoration, but because it is instinctive to just do the good thing. Verse 32 sets a scene for us with Jesus on the throne of his glory with all the nations gathered before him. The kingdom of God has come to reign on earth as it is in heaven, and so Jesus is king. And then Jesus is shepherd, separating people, creating division, moving people apart like a Palestinian shepherd would separate his flock of sheep from goats at night. Those directed stage right are the righteous, and those on the left, condemned. But what is the criteria on which the righteous, who by the way are given eternal life, and the condemned, who are sent to eternal punishment, are being separated? How is Jesus, who we now see as judge, passing these judgments? First, Jesus addressed the righteous on his right hand in their place of honor by saying, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So from here, we might say that the reward of eternal life is granted on merit. Good deeds, maybe. But how did the righteous respond? The righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? The righteous had no idea when they had encountered the body of Christ. 
They just responded to the needs of others in love. They weren't waiting to make sure that it was Jesus who that they were serving so that they could ensure their place in heaven. Their choices to serve others were just an authentic manifestation of who they were at the center of themselves. But how did they get that way? How did they become righteous? What is it within some that compels them to aid others in need? While others, namely those sent to the left, are content to ignore the struggles of others. I think Jesus left us a hint in verse 40 when he says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. I think there is a breadcrumb there that we can follow. Who are the least of these and how do we recognize them? As we see in the response of the condemned sent to the left, who also said, when, 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 we didn't know, we didn't know it was you. So that didn't work out so great for them. And so I'm wondering if what we're supposed to try and uncover is how to recognize the least of these in our midst. And who are they in our contemporary context and why should we care? Sure, the impending threat of eternal damnation is pretty motivating, but a more holy impetus is that we are all hopefully on the path to sanctification. We seek what is good and righteous in the sight of the Lord because he is our God and we are his people. We are always seeking to draw closer and closer to the Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed into his likeness. Certainly a Western assumption of what the least of these pertains to would be those who live in material poverty. The problem with this assumption is that we have now diagnosed this group of people to be the least of these based on their material acquisitions. And so then our remedy is limited to the material dimension. A more comprehensive definition of poverty created by uh, Dr. Brian Myers from Fuller Theological Seminary states, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work. They are not just. They are not for life. They are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. There is no peace in poverty. In broadening our understanding of what it means for a person to live in a state of poverty, the ways in which we can engage with the world to create healing and alleviate suffering are also broadened. We can pick from a much larger pool of solutions when we realize that poverty does not exist in a material vacuum. We can all suffer from poverty. Poverty of relationship with God, ourselves, others, and the rest of creation. When these foundational relationships are broken, we are vulnerable to the havoc that sin brings into the world. I recently um, found a poverty simulation online created by Urban Ministries in Dur uh, Durham, North Carolina. Um, you can find it on um, playspent.org. I encourage you to visit it and, and work your way through the simulation. If you've never um, lived that experience, of, of living from paycheck to paycheck and having to decide 
if you can pay your electric bill or your car insurance. Um, this simulation offers a small glimpse of what it looks like to live on um, the income that a minimum wage job provides. But who are the most vulnerable? Who does scripture say are the least of these? When reading this passage in its original language, the Greek could be translated to mean something like smallest or very little. Um, a phrase also found in chapter 18 in the narrative about true greatness where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm sorry, in the book of Matthew chapter 18, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and be humble like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Do you hear the echo in that passage? Here again in the parable of the lost sheep, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, we hear, Take care that you do not despise one of the little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. How about in Isaiah chapter 58? Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? and to bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. And not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call on the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. It is the children, the little ones, the small ones, the vulnerable, the needy, the humble, the righteous, the precious children that are the marrow of this message. The migrant children who seek refuge in our land that boasts freedom and liberty, who are called aliens and put into holding cells and detention centers. The children who were already living in material poverty prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and now find themselves at an increased risk for abuse and neglect as a result of the unprecedented isolation, and monetary stress and anxiety related to this pandemic. The children who are missing from protective services reports at a decreased rate of 18% because there is no one to report the abuse with distance-based learning and social distancing, they are unseen and they are unheard. The children just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Just as you did it to the children, 
you did it to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.